welcome to the I Believe podcast, a podcast created and funded by a Cure Insight. Here, we'll be sharing information and insights on treatment, research, and living with ocular melanoma. Thanks for joining us today, and I hope you'll be back soon. I'm Denae Peterson, and I am the host of the I Believe podcast here with the Cure Insight. So before I introduce Tanya, just a couple quick housekeeping things. So I've been posting this all over social media. I know Melody has been creating different Facebook events and things for it. But if you haven't seen it yet, we have our Steps for Sight is our awareness campaign that we are starting, a global awareness movement. And we are just trying to encourage everyone to get moving and to take steps for ocular melanoma and just for your own health and just to join together and do this with us. So if you have not checked that out, you can go to tinyurl.com slash A-C-I-S Steps for Sight. The link in our bio is got all the information on it. You can reach out and you can ask us any questions, but essentially we want to get as many people as possible stepping for ocular melanoma and just taking steps every day and just building your activity level, whatever capacity you have, whether it's a couple hundred steps a day or 7,000 or more, we would love for you to just unite with us and join in and do the steps for sight challenge and invite your friends, invite your family, get everybody involved. We want this to be like as widespread as possible. And so far, I want to say we have close to 100 participants. So let's make that number like 1,000 by the weekend. I would love to see 1,000 of us like join together. So make sure to tell people about it. Tag people in the post on Instagram or Facebook and reach out if you have any questions. Let me just briefly introduce Tanya here. So Tanya is from Toronto, Canada, and she was actually diagnosed with ocular melanoma in March of 2021. So very recent. But one of the things that I find unique about Tanya is that she's a life coach and I love personal development, personal growth. I probably should start my own life coaching business one day. Haven't quite, haven't quite done that yet. But Tanya had a really, really awesome perspective. And the post that I read about her journey and her story, I was just like, we've got to have her come and share because this is, this is a very unique place to be, both as someone who's newly diagnosed and also I think someone who has such a good background in personal growth and who really values that. And so I just feel like she's such a gift and her story is such a gift. So I wanted to have her on to share this. So she is just here to share her journey. And I'm actually going to just kind of ask her a few different questions to lead into that and let her go ahead and start taking it away and share her story. So Tanya, can you just kind of briefly tell us what led to your diagnosis with ocular melanoma to begin with? I was going for a routine eye exam. So I am someone who goes once a year. Health is incredibly important to me. It's one of my values in life to look after my health. And I go for an annual eye exam. In Canada, our eye exams are not covered. They'd be covered under private health care. So we typically only go when our eyesight is bad. But I was in the habit of going annually. And when I went in March, my optometrist um, was incredibly diligent and observant and aware. He noticed something. And he did a dilated test. He asked if I could stick around have my eye dilated and have a dilated test. I did. Didn't think anything of it. And about 7.30 that evening, he called me at home to tell me that he was really worried. And so it was caught before I had any symptoms at all. I was pretty shocked, (laughs) obviously, because it wasn't something that was, you know, showing up for me. I had no symptoms. I had no idea. So... No, that's definitely um, kind of, it kind of makes you feel a little blindsided when it just like suddenly is a thing and you're like, wait, what? (laughs) Like, there's what in my eye? Um, Yeah. 
Just to give people a little bit of a background, when your tumor was discovered, how big was it? And what were the treatment plans that you were offered in Canada? So what happened was I went to the optometrist. I was referred to an ophthalmologist for diagnosis. And he measured the tumor. It was very small between 1.2 and 1.4. So typically, they don't see them until they're over two millimeters. Then they referred me to our cancer center in Toronto, one of the many ones that we have. It was Princess Margaret Hospital. And that's where they did further tests to determine if it had already metastasized, which luckily it had not. And then they gave me the prognosis. So I had all of the markers with the exception of the size. It was under two millimeters still. So the only option I had was the brachytherapy. They did not want to monitor it. They said due to my age, due to all the other markers being present, they were not going to monitor it. And I think it was 10 or 12 days later, I was in for surgery. So I went from kind of diagnosis, prognosis, right into all the pre-op screening. It all happened on the same day. And uh, I just remember leaving the hospital and I was just in shock. (laughs) And I walked for an hour before I called um, one of my family members to pick me up because I just, I had to process everything. Like I, I was going in hoping to hear that it was nothing. And it was, you know, after all the tests, it was, you know, we were wrong. Like, it's actually nothing to worry about. You're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So due to the size of it, because it was so small, a biopsy was impossible. So we went right into the brachytherapy. Well, I think that it's great that they were able to just get you in so quickly for treatment. And like so many of us know, like these things can grow so fast. And if yeah. they're not found, like even the ones that are monitored, like they can just grow so rapidly. And I just, I just hope that more the more people will have doctors like that or advocate for like, okay, no, I don't want to monitor this. If it looks bad, let's just treat it like it's bad. Yeah. You had mentioned in your story, it was this new thing, but that there was kind of maybe a little bit of a sense that like, as you went into this, like you, you kind of had this moment where you knew like that you were going to hear yeah. the words, you have cancer. So walk us through maybe a little bit of like what was going through your brain at that time and how did you how did you process that news at the time? Yeah, I think we all have an inner knowing sometimes. And um, when I got off the phone with my optometrist, the first phone call, and I just I just knew I just was like, this isn't good. And the first thing I did was I just went to bed. I said, I'm not going to look anything up. I'm not going to do anything. I need a good sleep. And I think, I think I just had that inner knowing that I knew that this was not good. I slept like a baby that night. I had the best sleep ever. And I woke up in the morning and I looked up all the things he told me. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be told I have cancer. And that was, I want to say March 12th, March 13th. And then I was at the ophthalmologist March 25th. So I had, you know, about close to two weeks to wait until I found out officially the diagnosis. I just sat there and I was like, okay, I could worry about this or I could really get clear on what it was that I wanted. And I, I just kept thinking, I can handle hearing I've got cancer, but I want this to be easy. And I want this to be early. I want this to be small. I want this to be treatable and I just wanted it to be easy that became my focus every day that this was going to be easy this was going to be treatable this was going to be a small bump in the road 
And when I went in to the ophthalmologist, that was the very first thing he said once he well, I went through all the tests. He sat down and he said, the good news is this is treatable and this is going to be easy. Here's what it is. And he told me I had choroidal melanoma. And I mean, I had never heard of it. Um, easy. <laughs> easy for the treatment. I mean, yes, for, for the size, it was definitely probably a little bit easier to treat than, say, if it had gotten a lot larger. Exactly. And easy is a relative term, right? how you think about it too. And just like, okay, like what, what are the possibilities here? Like how could this actually be a journey that I can come out on top? Right. Exactly. Like I, I was concerned about my eye and my eyesight. And when I say easy, I wanted my eye and my eyesight left intact. When I use that term easy in terms of everything that could have happened, I had an easier journey of what it was by no means was it easy. (laughs) Yeah, but in it terms still had of, its challenges, but maybe by absolutely. comparison of what you had researched that it could be. Absolutely. So the tumor was far enough away from the ocular nerve that my eyesight wouldn't be impacted with the treatment and I wouldn't lose my eye. So yeah. those were the things that felt easy to me. <laughs> and then the next thing was I had to go to Princess Margaret to find out it ha- if it had metastasized. So they had to do the dye test. So at that point, I just, it was the same thing. I just wanted it to be my eye and eyesight left intact. This was treatable. This was going to be a small bump in, a, in the road. So I really aligned with kind of that vision that I wanted to have when I was 100 years old and was looking back on this journey. And I wanted it to be easy in the grand scheme of what cancer can be. You know, and I just, I really aligned with this will be a bump in the road. I will have my eye and my eyesight remain intact and I will get through this. So that became my focus, you know, and that was what gave me strength was I just kept having this vision of myself as a very old lady on a porch and just smiling and laughing and, you know, recalling this journey. Yeah, I love that. And I think that that's, I think that's an important place to be able to get to in this kind of a journey, especially once you start to recognize kind of all of the, um, well, I guess the way that I like to think of it is you, you get this acute awareness of your mortality and yeah. you're, you're very, very suddenly reminded you're mortal and one day you're going to die. And yeah. this could be, this could be what does it. And you're, you're not really given any guarantees, but I liked what you said, like in the, in the description that you sent me, you said, I had just been given the opportunity to put into practice everything I had learned over the past 20 years about mindset, leadership, energy, emotional intelligence, health, and healing. So I sat down with a piece of paper and I wrote, how do I want to experience this journey? And so I love like you just explained how you wanted to experience it. But I love that that was the question that you asked, that you looked for this, like there was this empowering question moment where you, you asked yourself a question and then you let your brain come up with some ideas of like, okay, how can I solve this? And yeah. And what can I present as possibilities to my brain that I can focus on, whether they happen or not, because they might not have happened, right? Yeah. Because, I mean, just to be, to be totally honest, I went into my surgery with the same kind of mindset of like, okay, my eye is going to be fine. My eye is going to heal better than ever before. And I've had to kind of realign some of those expectations because maybe what I thought healed better than ever before was going to involve is different than what actually happened. And so I think that's important just for those of us listening. If your journey looks different than maybe the way that you hoped or you kind of sat there telling yourself, it's going to go like this, it's going to go like this. And then it didn't, it doesn't mean you did something wrong. It just means you have to just kind of switch those expectations and figure out, okay, 
what what still went what still went okay in this and what can you focus on moving forward i think it's also important to not get fixated on that expectation like mm-hmm. like a very I, specific outcome right yeah just like, like a general thing like what do you want generally well, how do you want to exa- feel generally exactly and and you know like i was terrified and i don't i don't want it to come across like i wasn't and i mean i didn't exercise where i wrote my obituary <laughs> and you know i was like bawling my eyes out it was terrifying for me it was scary but i had to let myself feel all of those things to move into that place of clarity of what did I want to experience and how do I want to feel throughout this. And for instance, like one of the things was I I wanted to have fun. I don't like hospitals. I don't like going. I'm thankful that we have them because when we need them, I'm glad that they're there, but it's a place I avoid at all costs, you know? So like, but I wanted to have fun. Like I went and got my hair done the week before. (laughs) I begged one of my friends um, who's a hairdresser to do my hair because we were in full lockdown. I got a new outfit to go to the hospital because I wanted to tap into that feeling of feeling good and feeling fun moving into one of the scariest periods of my life, right? To have that energy, like, and to create that yourself. Yeah, because the reality was I was scared. I was scared and that was just the reality. So if I could do these little things that made me feel a little bit better, it was a little less scary. And we were in lockdown in Toronto when it happened. So I couldn't have anyone at the hospital with me. Like I I had a family member waiting, but she had to wait in a certain area. So like at one point I was kind of freaking out waiting to go into surgery. And I I was like upset and there was nobody there to hold my hand. So like I held my own hand, (laughs) Um, you know, and I was like rubbing my own shoulder because I was like, well, this is, this is what I have to do. Like I have to comfort myself and move through this feeling of fear and remember, you know, what it is that I wanted. And I remember laying in the operating room and kind of like in between tears and laughter, joking around with the anesthesiologist because I was just (laughs) two peas in a pod. I'm pretty sure I was like joking with them and telling them things. And then I was like, wait, didn't someone say they were supposed to come and ultrasound my eye again before you like actually do the surgery? And they were like, oh, yeah, we forgot about that. I'm like, don't forget that, please. Yep. <laughs> and then they but, put an X across on the microphone. Yes. They, I was like, make sure it's the right one. And then they were like, we thought it was the lab. And I'm like, make sure it's the correct one. <laughs> you know, so we kind of like... Yeah, so there was there was laughter, there were tears, but it was really aligning with how I wanted to feel. And I just, I, I wanted to experience this in the best way possible because to your point, I didn't know. I didn't know if this would work, if it wouldn't work. I didn't know if I had one year left or 60 years left. And all I knew was that the time I experienced, I wanted it to feel good and to feel fun as I was moving through it. One one thing that I kind of just observed listening to you is that you you talked about this vision and this picture of yourself at like 100 years old and how like it, it's interesting because I think in the life coaching world, in the personal growth world, in the goal setting world, we kind of get in this place where we think like the goal is the purpose, right? Or we think like, oh, you know, well, I want to... I want to be successful. I want to be healthy. I want to be cancer free. Like whatever it is, this end goal, we think like, okay, I just have to latch onto that. But it's, it's this tricky thing of holding that and also accepting the uncertainty that it could all change. And yeah. to then just, like you said, to focus on how you want to feel and how you want to show up day to day during the journey. And it really, yeah. 
you can have that vision and you can have that focus and that kind of that kind of pulls you forward and helps you every day helps you to just kind of navigate everything helps you to process the feelings that you have and just say okay i'm feeling scared but i'm also just doing my best to trust that this is possible this reality yeah. in the future 100 years old sitting on the porch this is still possible because i'm still breathing today so that means it's still possible and so i feel like it's it's just kind of this balancing act right of like hearing that and, and hearing the fear and validating it, but also like keeping that focus. Yeah. And the, the reality is, I mean, I could be wrong, right? Yeah. I could be right and I could be wrong. And it feels a whole lot better to have that vision of me as a hundred than it does to worry about the worst case scenario. Right. So yeah. I'd rather feel good and have that vision and perhaps be wrong. Right. So really it's, Aligning with how you want to feel and having that vision for yourself, but to your point, not becoming attached to it because things happen, things unfold and things take you in a different path. I mean, when, when I set out at the beginning of 2021, like I had a vision of what my career was going to look like. So I was going through a career change and, you know, I was very focused on what that was going to look like. Well, a cancer diagnosis changed all that and put all of that on hold. And I just trusted that that would get figured out. And now I'm on a completely different path that's a lot better. So it's the same type of thing. Like I had this vision for, you know, what I wanted my business and my career to look like. And cancer got in the way, but cancer also expanded that vision. And it expanded what was possible. And, you know, it gave me new experiences to step into leadership in a different way. You know, when we're fixated on the outcome that we want instead of the feeling, sometimes we can lose sight of what is possible in front of us that is different than what we originally expected. No, I love that. And we had one of the girls who interviewed just last month at the end of last month, she talked about how when we like have this this idea of what life should look like and how sometimes that can rob us of of actually experiencing the gift that whatever is happening is happening right now and that it it has you know even I mean she was she was talking about losing the loss of her husband like during his battle with metastatic melanoma from going from his eye to uveal melanoma in his liver and she just explained that she had this moment and she's had this realization of like realizing that that if she expects that life is going to, you know, deliver everything that she set out when she got married or whatever, whatever kind of plan or, or path you thought you were on, that if you, if you don't allow space for life to be life and to change, that it can feel really painful, right? If you have that expectation yeah. that it was supposed to be a certain way, right? That I wasn't supposed yeah. to get cancer. But if you can just kind of come to this, this bizarre place of acceptance of realizing like, okay, well, maybe you didn't want it, but it happened. And so, you know, how are you going to respond? How are you going to yeah. learn or grow from this? And I love what you had said when we were talking on Instagram the other day, you just mentioned, you know, we want to be able to go into this, this interview with each other and like have, have good energy, but also like just that idea that, you know, whether there's 25,000 people watching or one person watching, just the idea that like your story and your mindset and your thought process and, and just sharing that vulnerably would be able to help even just one person. So I feel like if we all had that, that mindset, and I think, I think many people do, but if we can kind of get past our own wallowing, so to speak, which there has to be a period of wallowing. There just is. Oh, there, there has totally to is. be. Yeah. Like if, and that's the thing, if you resist that, like 
you know, a lot of people go to that place of, of positivity, just think positive. Well, mm-hmm. I kind of call bullshit on that a little bit because you, you can't, you can't get a diagnosis like this and then suddenly think positive. You gotta go into the pain of it. You gotta yeah. feel it all in order you to You have to have the dark it. and twisty. Like. You do, you have to. And then once you're able to be like, oh, okay, I can feel that. I can feel the fear. Then you move into what is optimism, right? It's understanding the reality of the situation and it's scary and knowing that, you know, something better is going to happen. Something good is going to come out of it. But when we resist that pain, that when we resist that period of pain and we just try to layer positivity on top of it, it creates so much stress in our bodies. Yeah, agreed. And that's something that's something I feel like we kind of are forced to realize in some ways um, through this diagnosis. I can recognize patterns and cycles of that in my life in different ways, especially now that I have more awareness around it too. And I, I think that one thing that helped me, and I, maybe you can relate to this, but one thing that helped me was realizing that like, okay, this is a new hard thing, right? This is a new hard thing in my life. I've never experienced this before. But what I have done is I have had this other hard thing that I'd never experienced before, like postpartum depression or faith crisis or losing a baby. And like these kinds of things, I've had these happen. And somehow, even though I didn't think it would be okay, somehow I'm still okay today. So therefore, like that was kind of the logic in my brain is like, okay, if I can do this, and these are totally different scenarios, totally different circumstances, but if I can handle this, then why not this next thing? Right. Like exactly. I, I wouldn't choose this. I wouldn't choose it again. But at the same time, I'm, I'm kind of trying to give myself that proof. Right. Yep. And remind myself that I have that proof that I've already done this before. And and I figured it out. We don't always know how we're going to figure it out, but we do no. somehow. That's that's part and of that, the human experience. Yeah. And that's exactly it. Like we're like I'm 46. I, I made it to this point. Right. Like there's lots of hard things that happen in my life, but I have made it to this point. So, you know, I'm not going to throw in the towel now. Um, But exactly to your point, I've gotten through some pretty crappy things before. I'll get through this. I I had that period of like, why did this happen to me? Our egos get in the way, right? We think that we're a little bit above certain things for sometimes. And, you know, like we think, why did this happen to me? But we have to let go of that pretty quickly, right? Like we have to be like, okay, this happened. This, This just happened. That's all it is. There's no why. There's no reason. There's no like, we, yeah. we can spend and, all this time trying to figure that out, but it's not going to change the fact that it happened. It happened. So accept it. Yeah. It's happened. And it's like, you know, okay, I will get through this. So how is the best way for me to get through this? And that's why I got really silent for a period of time. Like I, I didn't tell my family. I didn't tell anyone. Like I had known Um, There were only a couple people that knew. And the reason was, is I had to get really clear on what I needed to move through this because this was, this was my journey. Everyone that loves us is, is going to have their own feelings with it. And it's really hard for them because they're scared as well, right? Like cancer is a really scary word. They don't want to lose us. They don't want to see us in pain. They don't want to see us go through surgeries or anything. You know, so they're going through their own stuff. But I had to get really clear. I had to be really solid on how I wanted to experience this journey before I invited people in. Because it is scary. It is scary. No, I think that's super wise. And I think it's interesting. Um, 
it's interesting, like what just, just, I think knowing and having that awareness about yourself and like what you need is super important because I am a vocal processor. And so I'm the kind of person who like, I couldn't not tell people because I needed to be able to process it multiple ways with multiple people. And so I probably, I mean, it probably was maybe 24 hours after I got the word tumor told to me in the, in the office that I posted. And I said, I don't know exactly what's going on, but I just want, I want my family to know. I want my, my community to know. And that was my way of processing and kind of coming to this place because I kind of feed off of that affirmation from other people in some ways. And I, and I, I felt like I needed that. And so then I could recognize like, okay, I'm going to utilize that. But I think it just takes, it takes a lot of self-awareness and, and that self-awareness is something that I think everyone gains in pieces. And we're all different. And that's exactly it. Like I, I needed to process on my own to really get clear on what it is I needed for myself so I could verbalize that. Other people need to process with people, right? Like, and there's no right or wrong. That's the other thing. Mm -hmm. There's no right or wrong. It's, we have to do what feels right for us. Mm-hmm. And then we have to learn how to verbalize and ask for what we need, but also to kind of set that boundary to say, that's not serving me right now. Cause I, I need to be like, you know, I, I, this is the kind of support that I need. That's hard to do because people love you and they're supporting you in the way that they feel that they would need support. But the support we need is often different. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. So this is kind of a, a, maybe a unique question, but did you feel like, or have you come across maybe in your journey this last nine-ish months, have you come across anyone in your circle who you have felt maybe didn't quite, didn't quite support you in the way that you, that you needed or that you felt was, I don't know, maybe, maybe just someone that you recognized, okay, this is, this is a relationship that isn't serving me in the same way. And if so, you know, how did you navigate that? Yeah, this really puts a magnifying glass on all of our relationships. And, um, you know, there were a few relationships that I recognized that I was always the giver in those relationships. And I had nothing to give, you know, and I kind of had to make the difficult decision that I didn't have capacity for them. I lovingly kind of was like, "I, I just don't have capacity for this right now you know, will the relationships come back around? Perhaps, perhaps not. But I really had to be selfish this year. And I really had to put myself first. And I really had to move some people aside in a kind, caring and loving way. It's disappointing, though, sometimes, because you're going through one of the biggest things of your life. And, you know, when, when you've given for such a long period of time to these people, these, these friends or these relationships, and then they don't kind of reciprocate that. It's kind of like, Oh, it can oh, feel okay. like a letdown. <laughs> big time, big time. So, you but know, again, I back can't... to the should of like, you know, we suffer more if we have a should in front of what we're thinking. <laughs> exactly. And the thing is, you know, everyone handles things differently, right? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, just because, it's not serving me right now because I don't have capacity to show up the way our dynamic was. It doesn't mean that that person didn't care for me or that I don't care for them now. It's just our dynamic pre-diagnosis can't exist in the same way post-diagnosis because I am putting all my intention inward, right? Yeah. And they were used to receiving all of that. 
So it, it, mm-hmm. it changed the dynamic, but it doesn't make them a bad person or me a bad person, right? But it is a, it, it definitely changes relationships. It definitely changes relationships. I wasn't quite ready for that. Like that was, that was hard and it, it felt lonely for a period of time because I had changed, you know? Your mindset, your beliefs, kind of your, your core beliefs about life and about what life is going to look like or how you want to show up to it kind of by nature of survival of instinct, like they have to change and they shift for many of us that they get, you know, generally more to a place of, okay, I'm here, I'm alive, I'm going to keep living. So to tag off of that, what would you say to someone who maybe is newer, newer diagnosed, or maybe they're, maybe they're a few years into this and they just, they just feel like they struggle a lot. And I'm just pulling from our audience here, from people that I know that I've talked to personally, who are maybe younger, you know, they're, they're under 50. So they're in that younger, that 30s, 40s, 20s, 30s, and 40s age group, and they just feel almost like a debilitating or crippling anxiety of that what if, like what if I'm not here? What if What if this goes south? I know that you, just because you're in it, I know you've probably had that feeling, but what thoughts or some of the, the tools that you've used to kind of navigate those feelings? And I don't want to say flip the belief, but maybe just rewire it a little bit over, yeah. you know, over time. Well, the first what if I had was what if this was my last summer. So in March, when I was waiting to find out if it had metastasized, that was my first big what if was what if this is my last summer. And it it really, I really went down. And then I have a therapist. We all have therapists, right? Going through this, we need someone to talk to. Plug for therapy. (laughs) We all agree. Yeah. And I, I remember talking to her and I was worried about getting depressed and this, and, and her response to me was, so what? That was kind of a really powerful two words. And it was, so what, if this is your last summer, so what, that sucks, but so what, what are you going to do about it? Right? How do you want this summer to be? So I kind of went in and thought, okay, if this is my last summer, or if I have 60 summers left, this is how I want to experience the answer ended up being the same, right? When I went into that period of worrying about being depressed, because there is, we go through a lot of roller coaster type experiences. And there, there's definitely depression along the way that yeah, there's that, that right? difficulty there's, in waking up and getting out of yeah. bed and just one and confronting this every day. Yeah, just, just by like, looking out your eyes, you confront it every day. Exactly. And again, it's kind of so what so what? Okay, if that happens, I have tools. I have people that I can talk to. I have therapists. I have a cancer social worker. I, you know, I know what mentally that I need to do every day. So the little tools that I have every day, like every day I do gratitude every single day. And actually during, during the year one of the pandemic in 2020, I, I would post gratitude every single day. I didn't do it as much this year because I was kind of going internal, but it's something I do. I wake up every day and there's three things, a minimum of three things. What am I grateful for? And if all that I can think of is I woke up, I have food in my fridge and I have a roof over my head, you know, I'm breathing, whatever, right? But gratitude, finding something to be grateful for. That's a big tool. Another tool that I have is giving myself things that I can accomplish every day. So every day I'd get up and make my bed, (laughs) you know, and if that's the only thing I did every day was make my bed, (laughs) it's something, right? And then it's just, you build from there, you know? So, 
So back to that, when we experience those periods of anxiety, those periods of depression, it's kind of like, okay, so what? Here it is. Let's just feel it. You know, what, what am I afraid of? What are the things that I'm worried about? What are the things that I'm scared of? And then it's just like, okay, what do I know? I know that when I spend some time in gratitude, I feel better. I know that when I make my bed, I feel accomplished. I know that when I move my body, I move this energy out of me. So I go for a walk. You know, I know that when I need to cry, I cry and ends like, no, I don't think anyone has cried their entire life, right? Like when we cry, when we give ourselves some time to cry and we're done crying, we feel better, right? Because yeah, we've released like really some of that. Yeah. No one list. can cry forever. We eventually stop. No, we do. We eventually stop. The fear is that we'll never stop. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, you know, when you can kind of think back to some of your worst moments of like the ugliest tears of just like hyperventilating crying, we did stop. So the reality, mm-hmm. the reality is we'll stop again. So it's just like, you know, cry. And if it if it makes you feel better, set a timer for 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes and, and cry. And then when it goes off, let's say, okay, now I'm going to accomplish something. I'm going to go for a walk or I'm going to do this. But it's just really moving these feelings out. And when we move them out, when we actually kind of address what it is we're most afraid of, then we have something we can do with it. Right? Yeah, because then we, we can move forward with it when we know exactly what it is we're afraid of or what it is we have anxiety about, we can move forward and do something with it. Well, and, and I think too, like when we, when we confront these different, um, I'm going to call them triggers, because I think that's a word that applies yeah. here. These different triggers that happen throughout our journey, you know, like you, you come up on new milestones, new periods or times of the year, and you wonder, and that, that what if it just, it just yeah. is a part of our brain now. It's a part of our brain because we've had this traumatic experience of a cancer diagnosis that comes up and says, but what if this is the last time that you, that you see this or that you read a book to your kid or that you have Christmas, you know, holidays can be especially difficult because you wonder like, is this the last time or is this going to yeah. be one of the last times? And it, there's this intense desire to both make the most of it, but it coincides with that fear of like, how do I even make the most of it? I'm so afraid that it will be different in the future when we can acknowledge that and just kind of sit with that. And instead of, like you said earlier, instead of resisting those feelings, instead of pulling away from them and trying to maybe, you know, avoid feeling them when we just allow them space, then, then we can do something with them. And there's a, a phrase that I'm sure you've used before, but like, if you can just, if you can name it, like you can tame it. And so like, if you can, if you can just name a feeling, whether it's the exact the exact feeling that really is what you're feeling. Like there's, there's not really a right answer, but once you start to put voice to it, it just, it helps move it from one place in your brain to the other where, where processing can happen instead of just reactivity. And we want to get to a place where we can respond in life versus just react, react, react. So one of the things that I can just observe is that, you know, you mentioned 20 years of mindset and mindset tools and coaching and just all of this time that you've spent diving into your own self-development that, that you then recognized, okay, here's this big hurdle that I'm being given in life. How can I apply what I already have to this? And like, how can I kind of essentially look at this? And I've I've had people tell me this before, but like, essentially it's kind of like, you've been training your entire life for this. (laughs) Like you, you train, even though you didn't know it was coming, like you were training your entire life for this moment when you were diagnosed with, with ocular melanoma and for this year of, 
you know, recovering and recuperating and dealing with all of the things that come with that. And, and that if you can just kind of give your, give your, your life experience some credit to this point, I feel, I feel like that puts us in a, a little bit more of an empowering place where we can feel, you know, maybe like we don't really know what's going to happen. We don't know how, how it's going to go, but like, we still, we still have this, this kind of trust that, okay, I figured it out before and I can do it again. I think it comes down to giving ourselves certainty in some level, like as much as we can, like it's, it's that like self-reassurance almost. Yeah. And, and I think the reality is the minute we were born, we do have an end date to be alive means we're, we're going to die at some point. And, you know, it's, we can sit and worry and be terrified of that day or, we can choose to experience life on our terms. Mm-hmm. You know, we, whatever happens to us, you know, whether it is a cancer diagnosis or whether it's a, a divorce or a job loss or whatever, there, there's going to be devastating moments in our lives. But to be alive is to experience those things, right? Mm-hmm. To be alive is to go through those things. And it's really, you know, how do we want to experience it? And I think the biggest thing, and, and you, you, you touched on this, is we choose how we get to respond. So when we're reacting, when our emotions are in control and we're just reacting from a place of, of emotion, we're no longer responding. That's when we're kind of like the anxiety, the depression, yeah, it just feels fear, like everything that. is just you're like spiraling like, yeah. and you're just, you can't keep up. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's like, it's recognizing when all that comes up, it's like, okay. I, I need to kind of come back to center. However, however it is we find our center, I need to come back to center so I can choose how I'm going to respond to this situation. And ultimately, you know, that, that becomes our life is how we respond to situations, right? Fully responding. And when we're mindfully experiencing life, that, that's the journey. That's the journey. And it doesn't mean we're not going to have ups and downs. Like, oh my God, I have them all the time. But it's, it's recognizing that, okay, I need to come back to center. I need to choose how I want to respond to this. And this is going to be my experience moving forward. No, oh, I love that. So one of the things that you mentioned on that I just want to give you a minute to talk about is just what you, you said, I believe what we put our attention on grows. And I feel like this would be a good thing to, to just kind of focus on maybe to end with. How would you kind of say that that has, has become a thing that you've really lived through? this last nine months? This has been one of the keys for me the last nine months is, yeah, I I do believe what we water grows, right? And I could water the fact that I had cancer or I could water the fact that I was diagnosed with cancer and my eyes and eyesight have remained intact. So I decided to focus on my eyes and eyesight putting gratitude towards my eyes, putting gratitude around everything that I can see. You know, I wake up some days where my vision and in, in, in my, my diagnosed eye, I actually call it my bionic eye, my little, my little there you go. cousin, <laughs> he, he <laughs> named it that. So in my bionic eye, yeah, that was how he, he, in his seven-year-old mind, he, when he understood that I was going in for surgery, he radiation and all that he was like does that mean she's gonna have a bionic eye and we kind of said yes so in my bionic eye like there's some days I wake up and it's very droopy 
there's some days it just I get stabbing pains in it. If I focus on that, it's going to feel a thousand times worse. So what I do is I'm like, oh, okay, this is a day where I have to take it a little bit easy. But man, am I grateful that I can see and I'm so, you know, excited that, you know, I still have my vision and my vision is intact. And so I focus on the experience that brings me joy in this, not the experience that brings me pain. It doesn't mean that they're both not there like they both exist and you can have these moments of pain you can have the side effects that we're we're experiencing all i do is i acknowledge it i acknowledge it as fact this is what it is but i put my energy on everything else that's good because that's what i want to grow i don't want to dwell on the fact that i can't all the things that i that that are different now i don't want to dwell on that that's just the way it is that's the reality of what it is so i'm going to put my intention on so many of the good things that have come out of this yeah and i can understand that too because like i i'm completely blind in my diagnosed eye for a long time i really had hope and i had that kind of that 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 expectation in my brain of like okay i'm just going to trust that like it's going to get better I don't know when yep. it's going to get better, but it's going to get better. And I kind of had to come to terms with the reality when my, my retina um, oncologist, she told me, you know, this, this is really like, I have to explain the science of this to you, but like the tissue doesn't have life anymore to be able to yep. come back and give you sight. So she's like, even if the tumor, I mean, the tumor has continued to shrink, which is great, but like, even if it completely was gone, your vision probably still wouldn't come back. And so she's like, I need you to just kind of acknowledge that this is your new reality. I think coming to terms with that, though, especially in the middle of it, can be challenging. Um, and I do want to just let us address this comment at the end here. Um, someone says, it's a bit hard to experience life on your terms when people are doing surgeries, um, three-time surgeries or three, you know, three surgeries in two months on your eye. She says, shout out to the PTSD peeps. I just want to acknowledge here that like, when, when we are going through this, there's this period of time, especially when you're initially diagnosed and when you're initially treated that you are literally just surviving. Yeah. There is no, I mean, yes, like you, you can have this kind of thought of like, okay, how do I want this? How do I want to show up to this? How do I want to show up to whatever? But in those moments, it's literally like minute by minute sometimes yeah. that you have to be okay to both be breaking down in the bathroom crying or, you know, sobbing to your husband or your significant other. And then the next be on the phone with doctors and acknowledging, okay, what's yeah. next? And to just kind of take that in. And so there's, there's this funky place that happens when you're initially diagnosed. And there's this, I would say probably two to three months where everything is just moving so fast. So yeah. if you're at a place where you're in the middle of that and you're feeling kind of the results of that trauma, just know that that's normal. It's pretty regular for all of us to go through that on some level. And that if you're not quite to a place where you've been able to, if you're in a place where you feel like you resent that, that period of time, acknowledge that you're allowed to grieve that you lost three months of your life. That was, it, it was not able to look the way that you wanted it to. But now, like Tanya said, so what, what are you going to do next? Yeah. Like, are you going to dwell on that two months? Or are you going to move forward? And I think it's important again, like it is valid. It is valid. Like there is a level of PTSD with this that mm -hmm. we're going to experience. And when you're in that place of, feeling hopeless because there are days there are moments there are minutes there are hours that you do feel hopeless or you feel like when is this going to end or how do I move forward through this don't pressure yourself don't pressure yourself to be anything but that like experience it 
have a support system. I mean, I, I needed a support system and I had like, I had people on dial that I was like, okay, I, I need this for this. I need this. I have therapists. Like yeah. I had to have that support system because those moments and that PTSD and, you know, when you're going through it and you're just trying to survive it and just trying to figure and you, you can't imagine, like it's, it is hard to imagine, you know, two weeks even tomorrow, sometimes when you're in pain, I remember one day I was in so much pain, I, I just, I didn't know if it was going to end. It's just really trying to get through it and don't put pressure on yourself, like take yeah. the pressure off. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's really just important just to recognize that wherever you are in your journey, and however you feel like you're there for a reason, you're there to experience it. And so if you are trying to avoid experiencing it or if you're trying to tell yourself that oh well this person is doing this or this person seems like they're doing so much better than me I should be where they are to like Tanya said like let the pressure off and just focus on turning inward and just trying to figure out because it's it's a learning curve it's a process yeah. and sometimes sometimes you do need professional help you need therapists you need um outward perspective to just give you give you the time and the the ability and the space to to just become more aware of what you need each time and kind of go on the PTSD thing. The procedures that we have like for brachytherapy where you have two surgeries in a week, I remember being extremely nervous the first time and then really, really nervous the second time. But the second time it was kind of like, I knew, I knew on some level what was coming. I also knew that something good was coming. Like, because the plaque was coming out. I called it my Horcrux because I love Harry Potter. And it was like, I was carrying the freaking Horcrux in my eye. And once it came out, it was like, oh, hallelujah. I feel great. That's not everyone's experience, but that was, that was mine. But I remember going into it the second time that there were just a few things that I pulled out of my tool belt. And I said, okay, I need to listen to music. I'm going to pump myself up before I go into surgery this time. And I'm going to just, I'm going to change my state. I'm going to do some of these things that I've learned through other hard things and through other experiences in life, I'm going to just give myself the opportunity to apply those. So if you're newer to doing some of those things, it takes time. It takes practice to develop those habits of gratitude or of recognizing, you know, when you need to change your state. If you're not familiar with that, changing your state just basically means moving your body in a different way. It could be breathing. It could be walking. It could be getting into a cold or hot shower. It's giving your body a different physical experience so that you can snap the emotion to the surface and let it fully process. And then you can reboot and you can recycle. When I go into doctor's appointments for my eye, like I'm seeing the same doctor. She's using all the same equipment she used to diagnose me the first time. The positioning is the same. The way my body feels is the same. So that, that feeling of PTSD of feeling like, okay, this is like deja vu. It's happening all over again. And the fear of like, what if it happens again? Right. Cause I, I'm, I don't think I'm the only one who does this, but like I just have this intense worry and fear that like the other eye will have something go wrong with it. And I'm like, please no, like this one's blind. This one needs to be okay. Um, But I have to kind of continually just allow space for that and reassure myself and just go into it and use the tools that I have been learning over the last year and a half to kind of just give myself that, that assurance. And that kind of, like you said, like give yourself that pat on the back and that hug or that pat on the back, (laughs) that hug to just like, take a deep breath like, and realize that even though you're experiencing the PTSD or the crying or the anxiety or whatever feeling you're feeling, it does come to an end. The feeling ends. <laughs> it does. And, and to build on that, like thoughts create emotions. Emotions create our reactions and our reactions create results. Like our actions create results. And so when we're experiencing feelings that we don't want to feel, 
you know, sometimes going into that feeling and understanding the thought behind it, right? So when we're feeling that stress, that PTSD, the fear, the whatever it is, that's why it's important to change our state, right? Because if your fear comes up about your other eye, you know, and that thought starts bringing up those feelings of I can't lose this eye, and that creates a stressed response in your body, right? It's about recognizing, okay, what am I thinking right now? What am I thinking? And how can I change this thought into a, a thought that is more supportive for me right now? And just you acknowledge know? the initial thought and just say, okay, I see you. I don't really yeah. have space or time for you. So here's the door or, you know, hang out in the corner. Yeah. You're welcome to just hang out here. But like, I'm going to focus on what I do have control over. Yeah. What's the quote from, from Frozen? Olaf, um, when he says he's got all the icicles and the kids are like putting stuff on him and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, we call this controlling what we can control when everything feels out of control. And I feel like just since the beginning of 2020, really, that has been like a motto and a, a mantra that I have just kind of reminded myself of. And, and it just kind of makes me laugh too. So like, it's a, it's a state change too, because it just kind of like, triggers a giggle in my brain that's like, hmm, there's Olaf, like he's just walking along in the life. <laughs> but I just think that's so important to recognize that, you know, there's going to be these, these things that cause that anxiety to come up. And just also to recognize that if you're having that anxiety that comes up repeatedly and you're feeling like you're not able to manage it or you haven't been able to, or, you know, whatever, it's never too late to get help on some capacity no. It's never too late. If you've experienced trauma and you don't, you know, like there's, there's, there's studies that show you can have trauma happen when you're one or two years old. So you don't remember it as an adult, but then if it resurfaces and you're able to get help for it in therapy, when you're 45, it's still effective to have, have therapy, to seek that support network of mental health professionals. So if you do need that, just, just know and trust that it's not too late. I'm just seeing one of the comments that came in. You're not broken. Like most, most humans don't experience this kind of trauma the same way. So, no. um, yeah, you're not broken at all. No, you know, we go to the dentist, right? We go to the dentist. We got to get help for our mind. Sometimes we're not broken. It's just, we need that support. We need that help. We need, and sometimes, you know, we just need a different perspective. We need somebody to talk to. We need somebody to allow us to feel seen and heard in yeah, sure. the the emotional experience that we're having and sometimes that's enough to kind of complete the cycle right but it's never too late to get help it's never too late to find someone to talk to and we can move through this no i love that okay i want to finish up in the next few minutes but i do want to just really quick touch on what you had mentioned at the beginning so you had mentioned you had the brachytherapy and this was done at princess margaret hospital because you're in canada yeah. and that during the time of the procedure, they were unable to perform a biopsy due to how small the tumor looked. Because of that, I'm, I'm sure you're kind of more aware of this now and more a lot of our audience is aware of this just from previous episodes we've done on biopsies. Biopsies are used as much as possible to dictate monitoring, to dictate the, the post-operative monitoring for metastatic disease. So when you don't have a biopsy done, what does this look like for you in Canada? Like how does your oncology team go about monitoring you for just making sure that everything is still okay, nothing has spread, yeah. all of that. 
So it's interesting. All this happened so quickly that at each of my follow-up appointments, I'm learning about the importance of these things. And at one of my last appointments, I was really upset because then I realized the value of a biopsy, but I didn't have that. Up until recently, I was being looked at every three months. Now I'm being looked at every six months. And we go through, they do all the full tests on my eye, the same as Mm -hmm. what they did when I was diagnosed. And then I'll have annual MRIs on my liver and then x-rays on my lungs. I get my liver enzymes tested. So that's the monitoring that they'll be doing. Naively in August, I said, oh, okay, so how long do I have to do this for? And they they said the rest of my life. And I kind of was like, what do you mean the rest of my life? And that's, that's when I understood. That's when I was like, oh. I know, it really is. And that's something we have to kind of continually come to terms with is just that. I feel like every scan, I have to just kind of remind myself like, okay, like I, I really don't like the waiting. I really don't like the scans. I don't like the IVs. Like, but, but I also like, this is until, until something changes, until they have a better way of figuring this out, this is what my life looks like. And so kind of like what you said before, like I can either accept that or I can fight it and I can go Mm -hmm. into it, accepting, accepting it and acknowledging, okay, well, if this is how it's going to be, how do I want to show up to this? Or I can show up to it and I can feel pissed off and I can feel, you know, angry or frustrated and have a bad experience every single time. No, not, and not to say that like that won't happen sometimes, because I feel like, like you said before, like there's going to be times where you're going to be in a better place mentally and emotionally. And then sometimes you won't and that they have to both be okay. Yeah. And, and I think it's also important to remember all of our experiences are going to be different. You know, what one person experiences doesn't mean another person's going to. And how someone feels doesn't mean you have to feel that way. You know, I I don't actually experience the the worry or the, the, the anxiety around my appointments. But the what ifs hit me once I get to Princess Margaret Hospital because it's a cancer hospital and that's what I'm surrounded by. So like I always go in in a really good mood and really excited and really like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to hear everything positive. And by the time I leave there, I'm completely drained because the reality of my situation all of a sudden hits me, right? Yeah, so I'm and not you're just I'm, reminded of it again in full force. In full force. And then the week after, I, I'm devastated I'm usually just in a state of devastation even though the news was great because that's how my mind plays the what if game is it happens after for me so yeah. I've but got the coming to that awareness of what yeah. you have and then what what you need afterwards so then for you you've you've had to come and realize okay leading up to this I'm fine but afterwards yeah. I need to make sure like what am I going to do to support myself afterwards who do I need to be in touch with to you know, to feel good about, or just to not even feel good, just to just to handle and navigate feeling bad when you feel bad. And I'm learning that I just have to go through the emotions, right? Like mm-hmm. I just, I have to feel them. I have to let them out. I have to do and it And it's all. hard every single time. Yeah. <laughs> you, I, I think in some ways we, we develop, I think it, it's equally hard, but I think that we develop, it's, it's really just resilience. Like we develop that yeah. resilience of knowing Yes, this is hard, but I've come out of this every single time and I'm going to do it again. And that to me, I think is probably the the only thing that I reassure myself of the most is that like, okay, like (laughs) I did this three months ago, I'll do it again. Like, 
you know, and lead yourself through it in the most loving way that you can, right? Like, yeah, exactly. You know, when you when you start to learn that about yourself, it's it's building your loving support system. And it might be to have your favorite meal at home for after it might be to block a few days off or like whatever that loving way to support yourself is like that build that for yourself it's going to look different for other people so yeah, don't exactly. expect your experience to be the same as someone else's well I I love this and I just I love that you talked about um, some of the things in your toolbox so I'm just going to recap those before we end you'd mentioned just waking up and focusing on gratitude and just turning your mind to gratitude first and how when you focus on those three things that you're grateful for, and I would even argue you can you can be grateful for the future that you want. Exactly. One of the things that I really like doing, the exercise that I like doing is I will sit and I will just breathe and I'll close my eyes and I'll envision, I'll see my kids in 10 years and I'll imagine like them on the beach in Hawaii. There's this like kind of hidden red sand beach. And my oldest is like, you know, launching himself into the waves because he's like 17 years old. And he's like, I don't have a care of the world. I'm just going to go like, never mind that it's high tide. Like he doesn't care. But like, they're just launching themselves into the waves and the water is great. And it's just like a little bit overcast, just enough that like the lighting is great and I can see everyone well, but I can just, I can see that. I can see, I can see like, this is, these are silly details to maybe other people, but like they're, they're tiny, minute little details. Like I can see my girl's hair and that it's curly and that like both of them have curly hair and they're just like sitting next to each other, like braiding each other's hair. And, and my husband is just sitting next to me, like these little, little details, but I feel that like welling of gratitude for that future moment that I just, I, I'm going to hold on to that hope that that will get to exist. But those kind of gratitudes of just, just having that gratitude focus. I loved what you said about having a kind of a a doable to-do list almost. And it could literally just be one thing of like, well, I got up and I took a shower or I made my bed or, you know, I made myself breakfast. And if all, if I I have to, especially like early on in my journey, when I was so tired, like post-op, I would have to just remind myself if all that I could do was take care of myself and call someone to help me take care of my kids, that was, that was enough. It all counts and you get to choose what's success. And then to just remind yourself, this was maybe not something you said directly, but it was something that you did. But you you remind yourself of what you do know. Like when you're when you're experiencing those what ifs and you're you're having that like, well, what if what if this goes this way? And what if this is my last summer? And what if, you know, what if it spreads? Well, what do you know? You know that you're breathing today. You know that you can see today. You know that, you know, your family is surrounding you right now and you know that you have today. And so if you know that and you can kind of work with that, then, then so what, what are you going to do today? What are you going to do with the present? So, I mean, I loved, I loved all of our conversation. I feel like we kind of, we kind of were all over the place. So hopefully, hopefully everyone was able to follow, but it was great. Thank you. So spur of the moment, put you on the spot thing. I typically ask everyone at the end of an interview and I normally warn them. I'm sorry. Um, It's okay. (laughs) I normally ask what is a favorite, a favorite song or a favorite artist that you find empowering that has helped you, you know, through your diagnosis, through anything that you've had happen in your life that's been challenging. So there's two songs. One is Unwritten. Um, I think Natasha Natasha Bedingfield. Yeah. I love that because I do believe our stories are unwritten. So circumstances will happen to us. We can't control that, but it's how we respond to our circumstances that matter. And I just remind myself that every day my story is unwritten and I get to write it. The circumstances are what they are, right? So I just 
what story am I writing today? Anything can happen. I forget who sings that one, but I just, I love that because anything is possible, right? The possibilities are endless. Anything can happen. You know, I, I just want to believe in incredible possibilities because anything truly can happen. So those are the yeah. two songs that when I listen to, sometimes I bawl my eyes out when I listen to them, but those, those songs to me just remind me of the, the, the spirit that I have in myself to believe that, you know, my story is unwritten and anything can happen. I love that. And instead of focusing on the what if that I'm scared of, I focus on a what if that I want. Yeah. So what if it went better? than I could possibly imagine. Yeah. What if what if my eye healed as best as it possibly could, yeah. despite, you know, all of the evidence to the contrary? What if I'm here in 50 years and everything's fine? What if they find a cure in three years or two years or a month? You know, those those what ifs of possibility. Like if we can kind of just give, like you said, give the water, give the fuel to those. Yeah. Then whether or not it actually happens, whether it changes the circumstances or not, it's kind of like, like you said at the beginning, like, I would rather experience life believing in that possibility than being paralyzed by fear of the other possibility. Well, exactly. Cause we're going to feel better. Like, so what if we're wrong? <laughs> we're going to yeah, feel exactly. better while we we're deluding ourselves. Right? Well, I'd rather delude myself this way. <laughs> right. Cause we can, we can delude ourselves in fear or we can delude ourselves in possibilities and optimism. So I'm going to go with yeah, that. I like Tanya, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you guys for everyone who was able to listen in and make sure to check out Tanya's page. Her Instagram is with Tanya and she has a wonderful, just a wonderful perspective on, on everything with life. I would just encourage you guys, check her out, reach out to her. And if you're listening to, and you're in this place where you're recognizing, okay, maybe I do need some help. Like we just want to encourage you guys. Like if you do nothing for yourselves in the new year, take control of your mental health and take ownership of what you have the power to do big or small. Feel free to reach out to me if you guys have any questions about the steps for sight. Make sure to go get registered, get your steps, and reach out and ask any questions that you guys have. No questions are wrong. No questions are too small. But thank you again for joining us, and we wish you guys a happy new year. Thank you so much for joining us today on the I Believe Podcast. Please make sure to subscribe, and if you're so inclined, send this episode over to friends, family, and share on your social media to help spread awareness around OM. Feel free to follow us on Facebook or on Instagram at Insight. Thanks so much, and have a wonderful day.